Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning to all of you who are listening to us, or good afternoon, or good evening, or good middle of the night if you're a birth worker up and listening to our podcast. I like that. Good middle of the night <laughs> to you. <laughs> That's great. Well, birth, birth workers would understand that, I think. I know. That should be our new, that should be our new thing. Good middle of the night. <laughs> uh, look at this. I know, I know you guys listening can't look at it, but Stu's going to tell you. What is this, Stu? Well, it's a cup of something. Coffee. coffee i'm drinking coffee this morning i'm so excited so why if i'm a little why is hyper, that un, is that unusual for you um no i love coffee i'm yeah. known as a people who know me know i'm a coffee girl usually but you know mug. i've been usually have I've your been, mug when we were used to sit together you would always have your mug of coffee coffee mm -hmm. and then since my cleanse since you were with me i've been drinking tea tea oh. tea, tea, tea tea so um yeah, I'm having a coffee this morning. I got up early and drove my friend into work, so I decided to splurge. It's rainy here. It's going to rain all week. You're still up in the islands? Yeah, I think I'm going to stay through Halloween and then, um, and then head to um, Monterey for the week that is the anniversary of Sky's passing with some friends. We're going to be together. And then uh, Thanksgiving with family. And then I'll be in LA for a couple of weeks, just visiting. Um, and then spending the holidays with the boys. And then I wanted to tell you my itinerary. Then in January, I'm going to San Luis Obispo to do some births with that midwife for potential partnership. And then um, February, for the month of February, I will be in Santa Barbara. And uh, Hayes and I are doing a birth worker innate journey training um, on the 19th and 20th of February. So I wanted to do a little shout out for that. If anybody wants to join us in Santa Barbara, uh, it'd be kind of like a little retreat. So welcome you from anywhere in the country. Um, and, and then in March, I think I might be going to Mexico. That's not a for sure, but that's what I'm thinking. So. There you so, go. It sounds like you're feeling pretty good about having some things back on your schedule again, which is good. Little tiny, teeny tiny yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah because, yeah. you know, I've always wondered what it would be like. My schedule is so full all the time. Yeah. And when I have time off, I've got emails and things to respond or Zoom meetings or everything. So really don't have that much free time. I'm wondering when I take my break next year. I'm excited for you after like, well, after two weeks, will I be going crazy <laughs> because I'll have nothing to do? Well, that, but you know, it's a spiritual practice. Yeah. So when you, when you actually, you know, are just being with yourself and you notice that you, that, that thing is like, I should be doing something. It's like, well, should no, you? No, <laughs> no, read a book. But here in book. town, it's hard because especially yeah. when I'm in my own place, yeah. Because there's always something I could be doing. I could be working on a paper. I could be reading something. I could be watching a video that someone sent me. There's always something to be 
And, and I get tons of those videos from people that want me to watch stuff or whatever. I try to, you know, I try to watch what I can. I obviously can't keep up. It's just, it's not possible. Same thing with yeah. podcasts. It's just not possible to keep up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you look relaxed. You're back in your cathedral. Because it's raining. So yeah, I can't, people can't, yeah, people can't see it, but, but they can when they do that. We, when we do our little um, Instagram TV blurb, they'll be able to see your little cathedral. Yeah, if you don't if you don't follow us on IGTV, you should. Uh, so find us uh, on IG, and then you can see our little videos, and you can see what we uh, what we look like when we're doing our podcast. It's kind of fun. So I got to listen um, to our last week's podcast. Sometimes I, I sometimes I, I most of the time I try to listen for you know for editing purposes, but sometimes I don't. But I I listen to myself get all choked up. Yeah. About the Rome Declaration. Yeah. And I realized how emotional I am these days. I think that maybe it's just beginning older. Um, maybe it's wiser. Maybe it's the world is, I've seen upheaval and chaos around the world. And it, and I'm a feeling person. I, I, um, I cried at the end of the James Bond movie. Of course, a lot of people probably did, but the new one, the brand new one. Yeah. It's really yeah, good. Don't really tell good. me because I haven't seen it. <laughs> You know what I noticed when, when I listened um, to our podcast or I was looking at things, um, we on our podcast app, we have the, um, like the, I don't know, qualification, I can't think of the right word of being clean, you yeah. know, because there's some that are like, you know, explicit or whatever. Um, but last week we said fuckery and shit and we're still clean. So it made me laugh. Yeah. And we even discussed a, a nude baby's bottom and a <gasps> <laughs> how they, you know how instagram edited that out so you know the people at instagram can't listen to everything and i guess a lot of this stuff is done by bots i suppose well yeah this is on apple too so it's not just oh, instagram. Apple, apple's different but, yeah so anyway yeah. just a just a bit of humor uh before we get into our topic today it's going to be off-label use people talk about off-label use all the time and, and you know it means different things to different people it's a bit of a word salad so I wanted to go through that with you, uh, and then also a little bit of uh, the hypocrisy that's going on from the Federation of State Medical Boards and ACOG about disciplining people who use hydroxychloroquine, yeah, or uh, ivermectin off-label. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. People can already get geared up for that sort of thing. There are some humorous <laughs> things that came out on uh, on memes and Instagram and um, things I saw this week, and I just wanted to review a couple of them because. Uh, one was this 10 second video that I posted or I put on my story about a guy just talking about how we should just change school desks into restaurant tables because then kids could just sit at a restaurant table. They wouldn't need to wear a mask because obviously when you're at a restaurant table, you don't need a mask, <laughs> but when you're sitting at your school desk, you need a mask. So I just, right. again, pointing out the lunacy of yeah. the, and the silliness of all of all the, uh, the rules. And again, when you, when you have rules that, that are so silly that people laugh at, it breaks down all respect of the people who are making the rule. Right. There was a cute one about, you know, everybody's shouting, uh, let's go Brandon. It's kind of everywhere these days. Have you heard of it? But you can you look at, you got a face on you. So maybe you're so isolated. You don't know what it's talking about. I've got a face on me. Yes, I've got a face. Tell me what let's go Brandon. You've is. never heard of let's go Brandon? No. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> a, a, about a month ago, maybe even longer, um, this reporter was interviewing the, this guy, um, uh, this race car driver at Talladega who had just won 
a NASCAR event and and she, his name was Brandon something or other. I don't even know his last name. And um, behind him, everyone in the crowd was yelling, F Joe Biden. You know, the chant was going around, F Joe Biden. And she, whether she couldn't hear because she had a headset on or whether because she was in distant ideologue, she said, they're saying, everybody's saying, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> okay. So, but you could clearly hear on the video that it was F Joe Biden. Yeah. So, yeah. so it became, now that's taken off, it's everywhere. And I, I saw a meme recently that showed um, it showed a Biden supporter um, biting his fingernails, not knowing what to do. I think it was on the Babylon Bee, and it essentially said he's 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 confused as to how to cheer for his son Brandon. <laughs> oh, I think I did see that one. Yes, yes. So you yes. didn't even know what it's about because you have no. Been I was so trying isolated. to figure it out. That is yep. so reassuring that there is a place on Earth <laughs> where people can still not know. Yeah. All these sorts of things, <laughs> and then. Um, and a bit of the uh, cynical, sarcastic viewpoint, I, I went to my first hockey game last week. I don't think, did I mention that? You were going to go. Okay, yeah. Happened. So I went to the first hockey game. By the way, it turned out to be great. Uh, once you got in, you know, they wanted you to wear a mask. They wanted you to wear a mask inside, but more than half the people weren't anymore. You know, and if you're eating, you don't have to do it. And you're sitting in a crowd and it was sold out. So there yeah. were 15,000, 18,000. I don't know how many people are in Staples Center. Yeah. Um, but getting in, I just was thinking, you know, they're, they're looking at my piece of paper with my PCR test, which I got done, and they're checking my ID. And I'm saying, God, you know, you need an ID to go to a hockey game, but you don't need an ID to vote, or at least they're fighting to have IDs to vote. And again, it's one of those things where when you start, everything is, it's lunacy. People have lost complete um, respect, at least in my circle, for any person in authority, because they want you to... You know, they again with the mask thing in schools, yeah. not in the restaurants, and the ID thing. Yes, an ID to get into a, you know, a, a movie theater or a play or a, a hockey game, but not to vote. And it just, yeah, it's just absurd. It's just absurd. We live in a time of complete absurdity. Um, speaking of non-absurdity, however, it is time for a partner break. So before we get into our stuff today, I wanted to talk about LMNT or Element. As we like, yes. as they like to be called. Yes. We know everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low carb diets or people are practicing fasting or intermittent fasting. Which is very popular these days. Yeah, even I do it. I mean, I sometimes mm -hmm. fast 15 hours a day. Mm -hmm. so, uh, according to the FDA, over 70% of the sodium in the US diet is consumed from packaged and processed food. Yeah. When you adopt a whole foods diet, you are eliminating processed foods, yay. Uh, and but you're also eliminating sodium from your diet. We don't recommend <laughs> you reintroduce processed foods as your source of sodium, but you can get it from Element. Uh, there's no sugar, or artificial ingredients, coloring uh, in Element. Have you tried it? Yes, I like the flavors. I told you my chili mango is my chili favorite. Chili mango, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, and um, proof that it's popular, again, I'm not sure that people always do what celebrities do, but NFL, NBA, and NHL players are using it, and many of the teams use it, and special forces, even Navy SEAL teams use it. So um, you can go online to, we find it here, drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts, and you'll get um, free sample pack for only the cost of shipping, which I think is $5. 
Yeah. And, you know, just to, for midwives, this would be a great thing to carry in your bag um, to be able to give to uh, women laboring if you feel like they might need some extra electrolytes. And um, against, you know, contrary belief um, that pregnant women should lower their sodium because it'll increase their blood pressure. It actually having salt to taste and having some salt is good for you in terms of um, lowering your chances of preeclampsia. So um, we highly support them for pregnant women. Yes, we do. So that's drink yeah. LMNT uh, with the code word birthing instincts or backslash birthing instincts for uh, a free sample pack and uh, for shipping cost only. Okay. Great. Uh, let's see. Okay, so California Civil Code 51 People who are interested in this stuff. I must be three of you listening who probably want to know what the California Civil Code. <laughs> I want to know. Well, the question, you know, I brought up vaccine passports and you know, going into Staples Center, that sort of thing. And are they even legal? And of course, there's people that are challenged in court, and it's going to take months to get through the courts to find out if they're really even legal. But California Civil Code um, uh, 51, which is called the UNRWA, U-N-R-U-H, Civil Rights Act states that all persons within the jurisdiction of this state are free and equal. And no matter what their sex, race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, disability, medical condition, genetic information, marital status, sexual orientation, citizenship, primary language, or immigration status are entitled to the full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, or services in all business establishments of every kind whatsoever. So that's California? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. The question is, you know, the question is, are laws passed by the legislature, can they just be overridden by executive order? Or some healthcare unelected bureaucrat making a, a mandate? Right. And, and, you know, I just don't see how if you have a society that has no cohesion, you know, or hope, it, it, we have no cohesion or hope when laws are selectively enforced. Confidence, as I said, breaks down and, and anarchy will arise. People will just do what they want and, and you'll have disorder. Right. So it's like it's like laws for thee, but not for me. And when we have that, we have nothing. So I just, you know, th- I couldn't be more clear that th- that paragraph could not be more clear that yeah. the idea of discriminating on somebody based on their medical condition is unlawful. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for reading that to us. Uh, do you like In-N-Out Burger? You know, when I have a burger, In-N-Out is probably one of the best and you can get, uh, what is it, protein style, so you don't have the bun. Yeah, you sounded like you were doing an ad for In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> let's, <laughs> hey guys, let's approach In-N-Out. <laughs> yeah, all right, we want to approach In-N-Out Burger. Um, so In-N-Out Burger put out a, uh, um, statement about, what's going on with their business. And they said this, our store property and clearly posted signage to communicate local vaccination requirements. I think uh, one in and out burger, I think it was in San Francisco or something like that, was forced to um, close or something or fine because they didn't follow the the, um, vaccine passport mandate that was going on in San Francisco. And so this was in, in response to that, the chief legal business officer put out Um, After closing our restaurant, local regulators informed us that our restaurant associates must actively intervene by demanding proof of vaccination and photo identification from every customer, 
then act as enforcement personnel by barring entry for customers without proper documentation. We refuse to become the vaccination police for any government, uh, their legal advisor said, slamming the San Francisco Department of Health's requirements as unreasonable, invasive, and unsafe, and accusing the city of asking restaurants to segregate customers based on vaccine documentation. We fiercely disagree with any government dictate that forces a private company to discriminate against customers who choose to patronize their business. This is clear governmental overreach. Good for them. Good for them. Good for more them. and more people beginning to um, take a stand because they realize they can't just sit back anymore. You can't sit back Good. and wait for someone else to take care of it. You have to do this. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, these are the kind of businesses that need to be um, patronized in a good way. Patronize, patronize has two meanings, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you, you should shop there. <laughs> Buy their burgers. Buy their burgers, yes. There's yeah. lots of companies that are doing the same thing. Okay, so um, I, have, I have letters. And this was a letter I was going to get to last week, but I wasn't able to. So if you don't have anything. You know, I was really hoping to read a lovely letter that someone sent me, but she hasn't given me permission yet. So maybe next week. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Who needs permission? <laughs> I don't know. If it's anonymous, but that's okay. No, that's okay. Yeah, it's very intimate. What no, she I, I, I yeah. totally get it. It was like the one I read last week where I started crying with that one too. Yeah. All right. So this one could get me in a little trouble. And by, by, Connection with me, you in a little trouble. Oh, great. And you didn't give me a heads up? Thanks. I never give you a heads up. <laughs> we, like your, we like your spontaneity. All right. You're going to love this. This is from, um, from Lindsay. Last name withheld. <laughs> okay. You're going to love this. But apparently a lot of pediatricians nationwide aren't allowing you to bring your kids for a visit if they are sick. At all. <laughs> Even a cough or running nose. <laughs> <laughs> they're only accepting well visits. So they're telling parents to take their kids for basic cold-like symptoms to urgent care or, or the emergency room. Okay. How in the hell does that make any sense, she says. A while back, you posted something about stop taking your kids to the doctor when they're well. I did do that, actually. Because it just adds to the indoctrination that we already all have in this country that we need doctors when there is nothing wrong with us or our children. But I read that it clicked, and I honestly don't know why I didn't get to that place myself. But I canceled my baby's four-month checkup and haven't been back since. I don't know how long that's been, but I like that. He's doing great and doesn't need to see the doctor to weigh him and tell me he's on his growth curve. I can do that myself. The very true. Right. Because the only reason people bring their kids in is the vaccine schedule, at least in right, is, which is which is what I tell my clients when they ask me, "Do I really need to go?" And I'm like, "Well, it depends on what you're going for." Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But when, where else do we go to the doctor? Well, routine. I mean, uh, some people will do a routine annual physical. That's fine if they want to do that when they're older. But yeah. when do we go to the doctor when we're well? When? Why did that become a thing? Yeah. Okay. It depends on what kind of doctor. Like if you're going to a holistic, integrative doctor, it might be good because then they can help you with, you know, good eating habits and supplements and stuff like that, that are preventative, but the traditional doctors, it's just about medication. So yes, with all those side effects, I want the Federation about. of state medical boards and ACOG to understand that I'm only reading a letter. Oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> Cause anyway, anyway, just think it's wild that 
The one time I would want to take my kid to the doctor when they're actually sick, a lot of doctors aren't allowing it. WTF. Yes. I, I yes. can say that. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know if my pediatrician has that bizarre policy since I haven't been in a while. I'd hope not, but it's just a wild world right now. Anyway, love you all and you do for medical education and freedom in this country. That's really nice. Oh, phew. That wasn't so bad. No, but I, I, I'm in sort of reading an endorsement of why are you taking your kids in for well child checkups? Because the, the schedule okay. to bring them in is always based on California, at least on the, on the vaccine schedule. Right. I mean, the right. only other reason I can see taking a well child in is to get their you know, athletic physical if they have to, if they're competing and they need a physical to compete in softball or whatever they're competing. So, but other at than that- At this point, it's not against the law to not vaccinate your child. At this point, I will say, could come. But at this point, the only, the only thing is that you can't go to public school, but you can't be forced to give your children vaccines. And we have medical freedom, uh, you know, at this point. <laughs> and the definition of medical freedom means you're, you're, you're free to, to you're, you, have, you can be free from medicine. That's your choice. Of course it should be, because there are people who don't follow uh, traditional Western medicine recommendations. I, I mean, how many times do I need to remind people? You know, in other countries, they use Ayurvedic medicine. We have traditional Chinese medicine. You know, uh, this is just one particular way of managing your health. So you have prayer. You have prayer. You have nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, a couple articles, about, a couple letters from listeners about breach. One's from Angie, who's a doula. She says, thank you for all your awareness and teaching about breach. I was just at a birth when I peered into the tub and there was a big pile of meconium. My first thought was this baby was breech. The baby was born beautifully in the water, Frank Breach. I was a student midwife. I felt as confident as I could, considering it was a surprise because of you, she said. Yes. Right, so she took my course. So awesome. that makes me feel good. That's another one. I mean, I think we had one of those recently, another letter like that recently too. So, so here's a, another letter about breach, and this one is from Noble Ladies 13. Okay. And she says, this one's not as sweet. <laughs> I, I love all your disclaimers today. <laughs> well, I, I just want to prepare people. Okay. Um, I was told that me sharing information about vaginal breach deliveries and, and that we should hashtag reteach breach was harmful. Being educated as a patient is now harmful. So I texted her back and I said, or I think it was Instagram, and I said, who told you that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly my question. Yeah, and she said, a high school friend that is an OB nurse at a local SoCal hospital. She was adamant that because she works in labor and delivery in a hospital, and she's had two vaginal deliveries herself, that somehow I should just forget all I have seen and read and agree with her and never share anything about vaginal breech birth being an option that shouldn't immediately be ruled out. Hmm. She says, scary that these people are influencing women into fearing their body's natural ability. She told me that birth was inherently dangerous. <sighs> I was kindly expressed how sad I, I kindly expressed how sad I was for her that she felt that way. Thank you for continuing to spread the word and education about breech birth. My daughter was breech, but turned by ECV after attempting, uh, that's version, after attempting all other options, and they did not have a provider or local options that would have participated in a breech birth. But women need to know it is an option and not always a C-section sentence. 
Um, and then I think I responded to, I said, if you listen to my podcast, you know, I say it's not my skepticism that is troublesome. It's their certainty. Clearly, this woman is an example of the dangers of stupid, smart people. Thanks for sharing. That's her new, that's the new birthing instincts uh, tagline. Well, Fear the stupid, smart people. Yeah, or good, good middle of the night. <laughs> I got to write that down. Or I'll forget it. Good middle of the night. Um, no, but it, but it is, uh, it, again, I think one of the big, most important things is that this woman was so certain she's right. That there's yeah. no room for debate. Right. 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 Absolutely. I'm so excited to announce our partnership with Silverette Nursing Cups. The issue is for me as a medical doctor, uh, I have very little training in uh, breastfeeding and complications postpartum. What can you tell us? Well, I wanted them to reach out to Silverette because my clients have had such great results in using them, um, you know, for nipple soreness and when we're learning how to breastfeed. So these are so amazing. They're handmade in Italy of 0.925 sterling silver. Silver is naturally antibacterial, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial. You just put them on your nipple after feedings and simply remove to breastfeed. You don't need any creams or oils. They're all natural. And the anatomical shape is makes them really comfortable. And they're available in two size, regular and extra large. So our listeners should go to www.silverettusa.com and use the code INSTINCTS for 15% off your purchase. That's www.silverette.com and use code INSTINCTS for 15% off your purchase. Go check them out. I do, I forgot, I did want to tell you about my consult, or I did want to tell our listeners about my let's consult. Go, let's do it now, before, because the next one, I'm going to get into an article in the, in the most recent edition of the Green Journal. So okay. I wanted to... Uh... So um, one of the things that I am trying to expand in my, um, as you were saying, you know, I'm getting ready to reintegrate and, you know, thinking about what I can do before I, you know, put down my roots and... Um, start to go to births again and be on call is doing um, consults. So being on um, Zoom and talking to people who who's come to me so far have been people who are delivering in the hospital who want to know my opinion um, in terms of something that their provider is pushing them into. Um, I had talked about the woman who was um, having a had 25% potential of having a Downs baby. And then they wanted her to do all this additional testing. And, you know, she had been put in that category. So this woman who reached out to me, um, she'd had a previous baby uh, that was induced um, because of low amniotic fluid. So they had uh, tested her, her baby was on the small side. Um, she ended up, um, having a four in amniotic fluid and they went in and induced her. So here she is. Um, she has a small baby again, and they have been concerned about the health, you know, the baby's in the fifth percentile. So they believe that she should induce by 39 weeks. Then it became that her amniotic fluid was on the low side. Um, and so she was kind of feeling like it might be the same thing that happened before and she would be recommended to get induced. So she just wanted to know a bunch of specific information about one of the things that I texted you about just to confirm was um, if you have 
a number that is, you know, around five or lower than five, but you have a pocket in one of the four quadrants, that's two or more. Um, would that be something in combination with a positive biophysical profile to say that, you know, you feel okay with waiting to induce? By um, biophysical profile, you mean a normal biophysical profile. What did I say? Positive? Yeah. Normal. Yeah. You mean normal. Yeah. Positive mm -hmm. could mean that there's something wrong with it. So Mm -hmm. right. Normal. It's not, it's not a term that's usually used. Yeah, normal biophysical. Okay. Um, not that doesn't surprise me that I would use a term that's not normally used. But thank you for correcting me because some of these are should be more specific. Um, so then she goes back after we have our lovely, you know, hour consult, and um, you know, basically, I just started the consult with just asking her, like, you know, what is it that I could do to support you? Like, what? How can we use this time? Um, to give you the information that's going to help you feel empowered to be able to advocate for yourself, you know? And so she goes in and she does the, the next round of tests and um, her amniotic fluid is higher and um, the baby has grown, right? And I gave her some recommendations about eating healthy fats and, you know, drinking lots of fluids, throw in some element in there, um, you know, don't overdo it on your exercise. You know, all of these things might be able to help. So everything's looking good, but, and you laughed at this, her, she sends back this message and says that her placenta is a grade three plus, plus, plus. And, yeah. and you said, you sent a message back and you said, wow, grade three plus, plus, plus. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And you're like, nothing. It's made up. It made it up, right. It's made up. So, you know, it's like that, that, um, letter that I read last week when we did the genetic testing about, you know, your placenta could just die. Uh, right. So yeah. now that, you know, everything else looked good, but there was one more reason to say you should be um, induced at 39 weeks. And I told her, I said, I never understand. And I had to really like talk to, you know, clearly about what's the difference between small for gestational age and what's the difference and what is IUGR and why would you want to induce for IUGR, but why you would want to advocate for yourself for a small for gestational age baby. And I'd never understand when you have a small baby that's growing um, on their own growth curve. Why would you want to bring that baby out early? Like that is just, it doesn't make any sense. Like let that baby cook. <laughs> Welcome you know? to 2021. Yeah. And I, and I talked to her about brown fat and how the last couple of weeks of gestation is about the baby putting on brown fat. And she was like, what's that? And I gave her the whole conversation about, you know, putting on brown fat babies have this wisdom within themselves that they know that the milk is not going to be in right away. And all you're going to have is colostrum. So they, they bulk up because they know they're going to lose a bit, a little bit. So it's kind of like their reserves. And so you bring a baby out early, you just, you've just, you know, um, interrupted that whole physiologic process. So anyways, um, these are the kind of things that I am able to do for people if they, if they, if they need a little bit of support. And I thought that, that was interesting this week. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can't answer the question of why every individual doctor does that because they, they all have different reasons, but a lot of them just don't understand the difference between a small baby that's growing normally and a small baby or a baby that's falling off its growth curve. They're all I mean, of, I can't believe all... that a doctor doesn't actually know that. Come on, Liz. <laughs> no, I think they just want a reason to induce. They want they want the baby out for, by 39 weeks. They have that the study that says the babies are safer. I talked to her about, you know, if you were in a car, if you were driving for 30 years, your chances of having 
a, um, a car accident would go up. Same with being pregnant. You know, that's why that the chances of stillbirth increases as you are more and more pregnant, but every baby should be born by 39 weeks. This doesn't make any sense. So, well, it does. If you if you understand the thing we talk about a lot on the podcast about the, the philosophy of the medical model is baby and bassinet. Mm-hmm. How it gets there is not important. Right. 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 Because mm-hmm. once it gets there, the obstetrician's job is alleviated or his responsibility right. is alleviated. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad people, people listen to us know this and that's why they, you know, they have breach deliveries at home by accident, but they know what to do or they, they, they know how to advise their clients a little bit differently. Yeah. And some people will take our advice and it, it, you know, we can't be right every single time, but right. I will tell you with our combined, what, 70 years of experience or whatever it is, um, you know, we're right most of the time. We've got a pretty good batting average. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, because I, most of the time there's not really a problem. So that goes back to the common sense of what people appreciate about what we're yeah, doing. If that's your approach. If that's yeah. your approach to medicine, you're going to be right more often than you're wrong. Correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, in this week's, uh, excuse me, this month's green journal, an article came out, out of, uh, I think it's, uh, British Columbia, which is interesting because it was actually looking at birth outcomes for planned home and licensed freestanding birthing, birth centers in Washington state. Uh, oh, it came out of both British Columbia and, and the University of Washington. So um, they're not comparing home or birthing center birth to hospital birth. They're just comparing home birth to birth center birth, a licensed birth center birth in Washington state. Home to birth center. Okay, um, they, they basically conducted a retrospective cohort study, including all births attended by members of a statewide midwifery association. I'm assuming that's the Washington Midwives Association um, mm-hmm. for uh, term singleton vertex fetuses with no known fluid abnormalities, <laughs> no grade three plus plus plus. No, I don't know about that. Uh, no prior cesarean birth, no hypertensive disorders, and new and no gestational diabetes or no pre-pregnancy diabetes. So they could have right. had gestational diabetes. That's they right. could have They had ten thousand six hundred nine births to go from, which is a good number. Okay. Uh, about forty-one percent were planned at home, and about fifty-nine percent were planned at the birth center. So um, that's can- interesting. I wonder if that's just uh, their normal statistics, or if that was. That's just who they used. That's interesting. Yeah, because that, that's that's 59% is birth center. We yeah. wouldn't find that in Southern California. Not right. even close. Right. Right. Much less. It would be much less. Um, yeah, interesting. Maybe they've got better birth centers. Maybe they got who knows how they did that. So, but anyway, here's some interesting numbers, which we can relate to. Intrapartum transfers to the hospital were more frequent among among nulliparous patients. 30.5%, all right? A little bit high. Um, a little bit high. A lot, of, a lot of studies have it around in the 20s, 25, 27%. I think we see it here. I know that my, with my clients with breach or even singletons, primips, the, the transfer rates, you know, 15 to 20%. Mine's probably around 10. Yeah, yours is probably less. I mean, but you, again, you're picking, you, you know, you're, you're picking, you're, you're, picking similar patients to this because you're picking the singleton, low-risk people. 
and you only have a transport rate of 10% or, or whatever, they had a 30% in, in, in prime IPs. Okay. Yeah. And most, and most midwives know that birth centers transport more and it's not necessarily because of the provider, but it's because of the type of of mom who feels more comfortable in a birth center than she does at home. She may already, for family reasons as well, lean towards going in quicker to the hospital. Yeah, you know, I didn't look at the graphs very much, but they may have given a, a breakdown of the transports from home versus the transports from birth center, but I didn't, I didn't look into that. Um, yeah, keep going. Multiparous patients' transport rate was 4.2%. Mm -hmm. So clearly, again, you, you see the difference. What I always used to jokingly say that they're two different species, that right. multips and primips are different. Um, the cesarean delivery rate was 11.4% in the nullips and 0.87% or less than 1% in the multips. Okay, both of those, by the way, are pretty good numbers. Yeah. And then we're just curious, they don't have the numbers because they didn't compare it to a hospital-based practice, but I wonder what, you know, I, in my experience, the hospital-based practice for this low-risk group C-section rate is closer to 20% or higher. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty darn good. Um, the perinatal mortality rate after the onset of labor, which is basically interpartum all the way to through the first seven days of life was, um, well, breakdown, I broke it down into one in 1,754 births, which is about what we quote people on, um, on, on neonatal death or stillbirth rates. What's so that's, the statistic? Yeah. What's what that? is What's the actual percentage? Well, the percentage would be, um, well, they said 0.57 per 1,000 births. So I guess that would be 0.05%. Okay. So, yeah, 0.057%. Less than 1%, which is what we say. Yeah. A lot of, well, one in 1,754 is less than one tenth of 1%. Right. Right. To okay. be exact. Conclusion was rates of adverse outcomes for this cohort in a US state with well established and integrated community midwifery were low overall. Birth outcomes were similar for birth plan at home or at a state licensed freestanding birth center. So, that's good. But I asked myself, so what about the success rates? What about the satisfaction rates? What about the outcomes? And um, so I, went, I dug deeper into the study and I found some stuff here. They said, although we are limited in this study in not having a readily available planned hospital birth cohort for direct comparison, we comprehensively compared the absolute risk of adverse outcomes with those reported in previous studies included in the recent meta-analysis. We found no increased risk of adverse maternal or perinatal outcomes by birth setting, which may be expected given the same availability of emergency medication, medical equipment, and the midwives management at home and at a state licensed birth center. All right, again, they're not comparing it to hospital birthing here. But I noticed that they're always looking at, at the endpoint is always adverse outcomes. Yeah. It's never psychological well-being of the mother. It's never uh, what happens in the next pregnancy. It's never, um, you know, the good, the good outcomes. It's always the adverse outcomes. That's, yeah. how, the, that's how the medical model thinks. Yeah. These findings suggest that where community midwives are more integrated into the health system, 
Hospitals, birth centers, and homes can all be safe settings for births in the United States. Woo woo. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. So they also say um, greater availability in U.S. hospital ops. Oh, um, greater availability in U.S. hospital obstetrical units of ACOG-supported practices such as trial of labor after cesarean, vaginal twin birth, and vaginal breech birth in carefully selected cases may reduce the likelihood of pregnant people choosing planned home birth outside of the guidelines that they suggest here for the low-risk mothers. So in other words, exactly what I'm doing is assisting people with twins and breaches. Obviously, it's not supported by the organizations that run the medical model. However, they're saying that we, they're indirectly saying what we need to do is increase the availability of these choices in the hospital setting. And until you do, you're going to have women choosing out of hospital options. Yes. Duh. Duh. Okay, so they say, despite these limitations, our findings demonstrate that outcomes from community-based midwifery and either a planned home birth or a planned state-licensed birth center birth are comparable with, an inter with, with international settings in a U.S. state with well-established community midwifery. Improving the integration of community midwives in the United States could be an important, could be, <laughs> to achieve comparable <laughs> outcomes in other U.S. states. Love it. Right. So. So like the Green Journal does, I'm sort of waiting for the, um, the editorial next month with, <laughs> from the uh, usual home birth haters. We'll see, if that, if, we'll see if my prediction is correct. Can you write in, Stu, like, you know, letters to the journal? Could I? Do they do, they do that, like in regular well, magazines? Sure. Yeah, they, write in? they probably get a lot. They, they probably print maybe four. Uh, you, should, you should write in as a home birth doctor and, and saying how much you loved that they published this right be, be preemptive the green journal during my spare time <laughs> <laughs> homework from bliss <laughs> homework from bliss <laughs> thanks bliss you're welcome tell you what, bliss, why don't you write the letter and i'll just sign it because you're so good <laughs> i'm better at talk, oh, you, i'm better at i'm you're better just, at you're just buttering me up you just buttering me up you're so funny well all right. So True. anyway, um, in the same article, the, uh, they have an editorial published by a PhD CNM uh, named uh, Dr. Philippi. A and PhD so CNM? She's a PhD in something. I don't know what she's a okay. PhD in. Um, and she's also a certified nurse midwife. It doesn't say what she's oh, a PhD in. Okay, got it, got it. Right. Um, so she said the study that, we, that I just presented to you in this month's issue of OBGYN addresses a controversial topic, safety differences between planned birth locations. So I just highlighted the term controversial topic because on Dr. Stu or on the, our podcast, the Birthing Instincts podcast, um, this is not a controversial topic. Right. But it no. just already, it's already in her first sentence of her, of her opinion, she's already like laying the foundation or biasing, putting in her the biases that they have in the medical world that this is a controversial topic. Right. It doesn't need to be controversial. It's controversial because you guys make it controversial. But but all of the studies that have been that have been done uh, using midwives actual statistics all show that we get better outcomes overall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I am sure there's studies that don't. So, but there are but most of the studies that that they say that, right? 
but it still remains controversial because they consider it controversial because they they're uncomfortable with it. Right. It's just again, it, it, it's all about confirmation bias and your perspective on things. It's how you look at things. Uh, I would I would say that a lot of the things that they do are controversial, but they're unanim- I mean they're unanimously in favor of it. Like I would say it's controversial to condemn physicians who who might be hesitant about offering the, the COVID vaccine to their pregnant patients and wanting to suspend them or take away their licenses or their board certification. I would say that's controversial. They would say that that's normal. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Same. So listen, the, the she talks about three different organizations and, and their support for this choice. And, and listen, as each one gets more increasingly vague, okay? <laughs> There is broad consensus among U.S. perinatal and neonatal health care leadership that informed choice should be a cornerstone of maternity care. I have to pause for a second and think, wait a minute. I just read that sentence and it, I, I didn't read it when I read it the first time. It, there's broad consensus that informed choice should be a cornerstone of maternity care. We agree. But they don't agree with it. <laughs> Which is that she makes a statement that makes it sound like they actually believe that, but they don't. No, because that. because they do say that they're doing informed consent, but from our standards of what informed consent really could look like, they're not doing. They're they're using coercion. Right. Yeah. We 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 presented on the podcast sometimes where they they talk about how how you're supposed to counsel people, and if you counsel people and you don't get the result that you want, you must have counseled them wrong. Right. <laughs> It's just a different, it's a different definition of informed consent, Stu. Okay, the American College of Nurse Midwives states that everyone has a right to an informed choice regarding their place of birth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the American College of OBGYN states that individuals must make a medically informed decision about delivery. There you go. A bit vague. But but read it again. Right. Make a medically informed decision about delivery. Medically, medically informed decision. That's the only thing that, that you should do. Otherwise, you're not being smart, safe, responsible. Yep. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics calls for parents to make thoughtful decisions about birth location to optimize neonatal outcomes. Say it again. <laughs> the American Academy of Pediatrics calls for parents to make thoughtful decisions about birth location to optimize neonatal outcomes. Oh, uh uh-huh. Right, a lot of people who choose home birth are choosing it to optimize their neonatal outcome. Yes. (laughs) Because they don't want their baby born in a hospital and taken off to the nursery or or having a 30% C-section rate or or altering its microbiome or, uh, you know, interfering with breastfeeding and delayed cord Mm -hmm. clamping, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they they only come at it, they only see one side. We could see both sides. Yes. Although the community birth outcomes were favorable in the study that I read, they were not compared with outcomes of low-risk individuals who had planned hospital births. Yes, she says that. Then she goes on, and this I agree with her. um, Surprisingly, I agree with her 100%. Good. The rate of transfer to hospital care for low-risk, nulliparous individuals planning community birth of 30.5% reinforces the critical need for interprofessional collaboration and integrated healthcare systems. For community birth to have favorable outcomes, systems need open channels for transfer when laboring individuals are no longer low risk or require interventions. So this is uh, like our friend Augustine says, breaking the silos. We need to break the silos. 
So I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And we need to make sure if we, you know, God willing, we're moving into a direction where midwives will be more integrated into the system. Um, we need to make sure and keep it autonomous in terms of who makes that decision. And, and we don't have more and more parameters over when we need to be transporting and not respecting the midwives decision-making process as a autonomous provider. And you know that the more medical organization gets involved with it, the more they're going to have algorithms and outlines, thumbs down, right? Thumbs okay. down for me. She also says, although data are essential in any discussion of perinatal care choices, it's important to note that birth-related decisions are not always based on evidence. Individuals and families seek out maternity care that is congruent with their values, needs, culture, social context, and the local availability of services. That makes me want to cry, actually. She that? She that. Yes. In the Green Journal, right? Yes. Birth, yes. Is a, birth is a, well, this gets better. <laughs> There's more. Um, birth is a rite of passage and a transformational moment for many individuals and communities. Reasons for planning a community birth are varied. Individuals, individuals may seek community birth to avoid unnecessary procedures and to be an integral partner in maternity care decisions. By saying that, she's implying yeah. that the hospital model isn't uh, necessarily offering these things to women. It's really good. Yeah, and who, who is this person who wrote this to? She's uh, from Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. Oh, she's a, oh, that's right. She's a PhD and a nurse midwife. That's right. right. Yeah. And, okay. then, and then marginalized individuals may seek out a setting where they will, will be respected, heard, and receive appropriate care. How about that? These are people. Finally, she adds, our beliefs, values, and biases can get in the way of working together with patients. Community birth has a long history, and these locations for labor and birth may be garnering more attention and exploration. There is no better time than now to research and publicize community birth safety considerations and develop pathways for transfer to decrease preventable perinatal morbidity and mortality. Good for you, love Dr. Filippi. Thank you. Love it, love it. Good for you. Okay. Oh, you know what time it is, Bliss? <laughs> boobies? Yeah. <laughs> it's time for bamboobies. Our little bamboo bee segment today. And uh, you know, you're the bamboobies expert, so take it away. Our our booby expert. Um, we love having them as a partner on the podcast right now. Um, they are a environmentally conscious company, which is a big deal to us. Use having reusable products, having um teas and um, salves for the breast that use natural products. Um, their, their code that they're offering to our clients um, and to our listeners is so generous. Um, so I really love that they were able to do that for our listeners. What an awesome thing. And um, they have, talk about the individual products, do because you have a list in front of you, all of their great products that they well, offer. You love, you love, you love the uh, washable nursing pads. That's your, big that's part. my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a great gift to give people. Um, those are awesome. But you brand, but they branched out a little bit since they, since they were in your eco boutique with uh, Alex. Um, they've got, they've got several flavors of tea now. Um, they've got nursing tea. They've got good day morning sickness tea, sweet relief, heartburn tea. New Beginnings Recovery Tea, black cherry flavored. Ooh. 
and apple cinnamon <laughs> uh, favored nur uh, for nursing tea. So if you go to their website, which is bamboobies.com, B-A-M-B-O-O-B-I-E-S.com, and you use the code instincts, you get 40% off your purchase. Yeah. And there's, no, and there's no minimum. It's not like you have to buy $100 worth of stuff to get the 40% off. Right. So that's bamboobies.com and use the code instincts, I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, for 40% off your purchase. Yeah, so our amazing listeners, if you are a provider, please pass that on to your clients. Your clients could use that um, to get that discount or go and get some gifts for the next time you have somebody in your life who is um, expecting. It's a great place to get some gifts for next time. Okay. Thanks, Bamboobies. So listen, um, it's funny how how the time is, begins to fly when you and I just get together and we just start talking about stuff. But I really want to get into a topic that has been very in the news. Um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about off-label. Now, I put out a little video on Instagram TV. You, you, were, you were excited about it because I finally did an in-the-car video or something like that. I can't remember. What I you, know. You I was proud some, of you. You called it something really cute, and I forgot what you called it. But, <laughs> but I finally did it. And I talked about the hypocrisy between yelling at people for using um, ivermectin and um, hydroxychloroquine off-label while promoting uh, Tdap and flu, uh, uh, for which are off-label. And I had a, and I, I want to issue a bit of a, oh, go ahead. No, I, go ahead, because you're talking about your actual video. Go, I want to issue ahead. a bit of a correction in that the term off-label that I use that is actually not exactly correct for Tdap. Um, Tdap, uh, we'll, and I'll get to that in just a second. But I want to I want to start by saying that the FDA um, talks about has a has a uh, has an informational sheet out about unapproved use of a drug or what we call off label use of the drug. And it's important to know that before a drug can be approved, a company must submit clinical data and other information for the FDA to be reviewed. All right, so. All the drugs that are out there on, that are prescription have been FDA approved. Now, we may agree or disagree about whether some of them are effective or some of them have been tested properly or whatever else, but they have this thing called FDA approval, all right? And then the FDA talks about why might an approved drug be, be used for unapproved use? And they say, from the FDA perspective, once the FDA approves a drug, healthcare providers may generally may prescribe the drug for an unapproved use when they judge that it is medically appropriate for their patient. Okay, so the FDA basically just said there that if a doctor feels that an off-label use of a approved medication is reasonable for their patient, they should be able to prescribe that. Federation of State Medical Boards and ACOG and everybody else who's saying you're going to discipline us for giving out misinformation and probably prescribing things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. You may be asking yourself why your healthcare provider would want to prescribe a drug to treat a disease or medical condition that the drug is not approved for. One reason is there might not be an approved drug to treat your disease or medical condition. As in the first year of COVID, there wasn't. Right. All right. And yet it was still vilified. Another is that you may have tried all approved treatments without seeing any benefits. That's potentially true. And in situations like these, you and your healthcare provider may talk about using an approved drug for an unapproved use to treat your disease or medical condition. That's from the FDA. But again, rules for thee and not for me. So in other words, 
this list there, but we're going to ignore this one because we don't because we don't like what you're what you're using your unapproved uses or your off-label uses for. So they get to decide which unapproved or which off-label uses are okay and not okay. That's not okay. You can't do that. Right. That's a doctor's decision. Right. Right. And and uh, just to go back one step, there still isn't any drug that's approved for the use of COVID. Correct. There's. I, I don't know if, if if some of these antivirals might be. There's some. I can't. I don't follow that close enough. Um, there were some that didn't work very well. Remdesivir or something like that might have been approved for COVID. There might be another one out. I think monoclonal antibodies might have gotten approved for COVID. I'm not 100% certain. Okay. So, yeah. So there might be some. Anyway, um, so Nebraska recently just, uh, the Attorney General of Nebraska just came out and said, he issued a legal opinion saying that his office won't seek disciplinary action against doctors who prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin as off-label medicines to treat or prevent COVID-19. Because the federal government wants, the CDC wants doctors who do this to be disciplined. Yeah. The Attorney General in Nebraska says no, he said, you issued the opinion on October 14th, was a response to the quest, a request from the state's Department of Health, which licenses and disciplines doctors. This person asked whether it, was, it would be, quote, deemed unlawful or otherwise subject to discipline for doctors to provide ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, or other off-label use medications to treat or prevent COVID-19. The Republican Attorney General said in the opinion that his office finds the avail available data does not justify filing disciplinary actions against physicians simply because they prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine to prevent or treat COVID-19. Well, he's got courage. Yeah, good for Nebraska. Good okay. for Nebraska. Mm -hmm. He says, um, allowing physicians to consider these early treatments will free them to evaluate additional tools that could save lives, keep patients out of the hospital, and provide relief for our already strained healthcare system. So awesome. good, good for you, uh, Attorney General, whatever your name is, from Nebraska. Um, okay, so again, we're, we're talking about off-label stuff and we're talking about sort of the, um, I don't know, persecution maybe is too strong a word of people who wanna try to use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine off-label for this and how they have been vilified, how they have been threatened, how they have been kicked off staff, how they have been, uh, their licenses have been threatened, how they've lost their jobs. Um, all because they they wanted to do off-label um, usage, all right? Yeah. So even though Tdap is not off-label, okay, it's not considered off-label, but pregnant women were not included in any clinical trials for the vaccine, which is why the package insert for Tdap indicates that it belongs in category C. So this becomes a bit of word salad, right? It becomes... Um, you know, when you start to say, is it off-label? Is it, is it approved? Is it what people get confused? And when you start to confuse people, that that's perfect for the people who want to, you know, who want to uh, control you. You know, when you, when you, people don't understand it, they just put their head down and say, Jesus, it's too confusing. I'm going to give up. And that's what they do. But um, so Tdap can be given to pregnant women. It's actually recommended by the CDC and by ACOG to give it to, even, even though it's never been tested in pregnant women. Whether that's off-label or not, I don't care what word you use. It's very similar to using a drug that's off-label like ivermectin. For, you know, you're using it 
uh, without testing. Did you say it's class C? Category C. Category C, yeah. Yeah, it means that there's no, been no testing in humans. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you have to decide whether the risk-benefit ratio is beneficial. In, the, in ACOG's opinion, it's beneficial to give all pregnant women the flu and the Tdap vaccine because the benefits outweigh the risks. I would ask ACOG to give me what the risks are uh, to women who don't get the Tdap shot and to their babies. And, and if, if, if in an, the informed consent that's being given to these women, if, it, if they say, this is category C and it hasn't been, like, is that part of the language that they're using to give these people informed consent? I don't know. I'm sure it's not in a doctor's office. And, and also they're not saying whether or not the, um, what's the risk if you don't get it right. of having an adverse outcome. That right. would be part of the informed consent process as well. And they don't do that either. So I yeah. don't, I mean, even though I was not exactly correct in my little video about calling them off-label use, I want to be sure that people understand the, the motivation behind what I'm trying to say is whether it's off-label or, or not tested or not, you know, that sort of thing, people understand the point. Didn't you say that Pitocin is used off-label? Oh, I'm not sure. I did say that. And again, I, you know, that's one of the things I forgot to look up. So I'm going to have to follow up on that next week. But I've got a whole list. We're going to get to that in just a second. I wanted to tell you that I believe persecution is exactly the right term. I looked it up for you. Persistent annoyance or harassment, hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race or political or religious beliefs. So persecution is a great word to use. Okay, while I'm talking here, if you want to look up Pitocin real quick, you could do that. Okay. You could just see if it's indicated for the use uh, of for what we use it for. You just go to... Um, well, you just look it up and you look up for Pitocin indications um, in the search, it'll come up. So anyway, so, so this begins back to the sort of the hypocrisy that everything's going on. And I always said that hypocrisy isn't necessarily a big enough word because it's, it's, because it's been used so often now that it's losing its meaning. Um, it's kind of like the car alarm in the parking lot. No one pays attention to it anymore. Or the COVID alert on the bottom of your, of your um, post on, on Instagram or something. Nobody pays any attention to that anymore because it's been used so often. But what medications do we use in obstetrics commonly that are off-label and that are often encouraged to be used? And I, I came up with um, one, two, three, four, five, six. And if we use if Pitocin's also, that would be seven of them. So let's talk about them for just a second and let's just discuss what they are. One is tributylene. Okay, tributylene is not indicated for the use of uh, for stopping for preterm labor. Okay. Yeah. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is warning the public that injectable tributylene should not be used in pregnant women. <laughs> this was 10 years ago. This yeah. one came out. All right. Um, but it's still used all the time. What was it intended for? It's a, it's a, it's a bronchodilator. It's, I think it's basically used for asthma and oh, okay. uh, that sort of thing. It's a, what's called a, I think it's called a beta sympathomimetic. It, it stimulates beta receptors, which causes some vasodilatation, but it also stimulates the heart, as you know, because everybody who gets tributylene gets tachycardic and they right. the heart racing. But, it, but the, the beta receptors also, uh, they cause the small airways to dilate. So um, it improves breathing. Yeah, it okay. looks like Pitocin 
the indication is for augmentation of labor. How about for postpartum use? Induction of labor, postpartum hemorrhage. Okay, so that so that's not one of them. So good. So we're down to six, which is fine. See, this is this is great. This is a new thing for uh, the Birthing Instincts podcast. We have real time research going on. <laughs> If if we were if we were together sitting in your kitchen, we would only have one computer. We wouldn't be able to do that. Guess what? We get to be together in uh, for two or three weeks in um, December. Yay! I know. So we'll do that. Okay. So what about what about misoprostol? Commonly used. We all carry it in our you know our home birth kits. Most yes. They Most. often use it. Um, uh, we don't use it for induction of labor. We use it for postpartum hemorrhage. Is it approved for induction of labor? Is it approved um, um, for blood loss after delivery? Well, FDA alert. <laughs> the patient information chief is for pregnant women who may receive mesoprostol to soften their cervix or induce contractions to begin labor. Mesoprostol is sometimes used to decrease blood loss after delivery of a baby. These uses are not approved by the FDA. Oh my Look God. At Look at that. Oh my God, let's take away the license of everybody who uses misoprostol. <laughs> so um, I don't mean to be get snarky. Well, I do, but but <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> right. Okay, because there can be serious side effects from misoprostol. We all know what they are. So you don't have to go through that. But anyway, it's not, let me repeat those words. These uses are not approved by the FDA. Okay, another one that's that's used less common, people may know a little less about it, is a drug called McKenna. McKenna is a very expensive form of a very cheap medication called 17-hydroxyprogesterone caparate. And it was used uh, in a lot of studies in the, in the last decade to see if it prevented preterm delivery in people with a history of a previous preterm singleton delivery. And McKenna or 17-hydroxyprogesterone caparate is indicated to reduce the risk of preterm birth in women with a singleton pregnancy who have a history of a singleton spontaneous preterm birth. So in the subsequent pregnancy, you can give it as you go along, okay? There are no controlled clinical trials demonstrating a clinical benefit from it, but it's still indicated, okay? However, it is not intended for use in women with multiple gestations or other risk factors for preterm birth, for which it was commonly used. It was commonly given to twin moms from about 20 some weeks on. It's given once, it's injection once a week. And it was used, I know for a fact it was used in twins because I had maternal fetal medicine doctors recommending it for the use of tw in twins. Right. It was never indicated for that. That was off-label. Okay, what about nifedipine? Nifedipine is a drug we sometimes use for preterm labor. All right, it's also used for hypertension. Nifedipine is indicated for vasospastic angina. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of our patients have that. No. Chronic stable angina. I don't think too many of our patients have that. And then for hypertension, which some of our patients have. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's indicated for hypertension and the other two angina-related um, diagnoses. Nowhere in there is it indicated for preterm labor. But yet it's used for preterm labor. Right. Off-label usage. Approved by ACOG. Supported by ACOG just like tributylene, mesoprostol, and 17-hydroxyprogesterone. Right. Okay. 
hypocrisy. Women who have um, cholestasis of pregnancy, what do we treat them with? Don't say delivery because, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, if you have really bad, that's your treatment is, is if you have high levels of serum bile salts, you certainly want to um, consider delivery. But if you have lower levels and people are incredibly itchy, what do we treat them with? We treat them with a powder. Yeah. And the generic for the powder, I think it's called Ursodiol um, or so. And there's, there's other names for it. I can't remember what the other names are. Yeah. I don't, I don't use this as a treatment, but I get that you do. But yeah. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of OBs use it. Um, mm -hmm. They do. Especially if you get somebody who's got mild cholestasis that like 32 weeks and you want to buy some time and, yeah. you're just, and it's driving them crazy. It helps to lower your serum bile salts. So um, Ursodiol is indicated for the treatment of patients with primary biliary cholangitis. Which you know is what that is. Gallstones and inflammatory. Um, okay. That sort of thing. It is not indicated for cholestasis of pregnancy. It's off-label use. Mm -hmm. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Incredible. not shocked. Can you tell? Yeah. Nobody's getting disciplined for the use of uh, ursodiol. For, for in um, and by the way, the pharmacies are all filling all these medications, and they're not asking me why I'm prescribing. Which they do when you call in a prescription for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, and if you tell them it's for early COVID prevent or, or prevention of COVID, they won't fill it. The major pharmacies won't fill it. Yeah, they don't ask why I'm prescribing nifedipine. They don't ask why I'm not I'm prescribing versadiol. They don't ask. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and yeah. So again, we have this thing where the system is breaking down because when you don't have trust in the system, when people are, are things are, are, uh, enforced randomly, you, you can't sustain that. It just can't be sustained. Okay. One more. What, and, and again, this is one thing that's not used in pregnant ladies. It's used in the opposite of pregnant ladies. And that would be birth control pills. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to think what the opposite of pregnant ladies. I'm like, man, I'm like, <laughs> okay. So birth control, got yeah, it. And you know, I, I'm watching your face and I'm not putting you on the spot by asking these things. I can see <laughs> that you have the puzzled look on your face. So no, birth control pills. Birth control pills are indicated for what? Um, they're indicated for- um... Birth control. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to find another word for you. <laughs> Prevention of pregnancy. Uh, yeah. That sort of thing, right? Yes. Okay. Family planning, as I like to say. By the way, are, are birth control pills approved for any of the following? You get, it's a multiple choice question. A, A, yes, B, no. Okay. Okay. Are birth control pills approved for acne? No. Heavy menstrual bleeding? No. Painful menstrual period. I'm cheating, by the way. No. Irregular menstrual periods. No. Endometriosis. No. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder or PMS. No. <laughs> no. Are they used for those five things? Six things? Absolutely. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Okay. Off-label usage of birth control yeah. pills. Totally recommended by, even in, even in our gynecology textbooks. 
By the way, I'm going to give a little tease since you're talking about birth control pills. We're going to have Ricky Lake on really soon to talk about her movie that's just being released about birth control. It's going to be a great conversation. Well, that'll be exciting. Uh, have you been yeah. in touch with her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I are... <laughs> Don't make promises you can't keep. No, I already asked her before. She said she had to wait till it was released and it's just been released. So I'll schedule that real soon. Okay, we'll ask her about off-label use and see what she thinks. <laughs> okay, I will. No. Anyway, I just uh, the point I'm making is obvious, okay? Yes, it is. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. The point I'm making is that the off-label uses that ACOG or that, uh, that the medical establishment likes are fine. And the ones that have a political spin agenda. to them. Agenda. Yeah, or a political agenda, whatever, they're not fine. And this is crazy. And the fact that people like Simone Gold lost her job as an ER physician because she was prescribing hydroxychloroquine and getting decent results from it, and that doctors around the world have been using it and were still being threatened. And, and, the, and the hypocrisy here has created a, a sense of skepticism, which I think is very healthy, which leads to a lot of us being skeptical about the, the benefits and the safe and effectiveness of, which is promoted all the time, of the, of the uh, COVID-19 jabs, all right? Yeah. So when we are skeptical, we have every reason to be skeptical. We are accused of being anti-vax or we're accused of being anti-science. We're accused of being um, spreading misinformation or disinformation. Dangerous. So you people are out of your freaking minds, right? It's your rules. We're playing by your rules, which aren't which there aren't any rules actually. But you know, we're and and you you you're so hypocritical that you don't even see it. They don't even see it. They're so blinded by their ideology they do not see it. Yeah. And this has to stop. Well, I appreciate you bringing up this topic. I think it's very eye-opening. Yeah, so um, yeah. I have a parting thought, as usual. A party thought, as part, you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have a parting thought. Um, before okay. I do that, do you have um, anything else that you'd like to add to that topic of off-label? Just off I don't head. have anything to add, but I'm really glad that you brought it up, so... Yeah, because we use a lot of medication and I just brought up the ones that are used off label in my in my profession, in my in my short memory. I mean, there are there are in every other profession, there are doctors using drugs off label. I, I mean, I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not an internist. I'm not a, you know, uh, anesthesiologist, but there I'm sure they use certain medications off label all the time. Yeah. And, and, and they're and that's fine. And it's actually supported by their organizations and for for them to come out now and say that these off-label uses for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are, are the only ones that are bad, just defy sensibility. It does. Okay, so here's my parting thought. I, I had to write it down because it was a thought I had a couple hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> okay, in the end, it's all word salad. Yeah. It's all fuckery. It's all misdirection and deception. And a system that is inconsistent in its rules and logic and selectively chooses which rules can be ignored and who should be disciplined cannot sustain, it, sustain itself as trust is, is eroded. Yes. We can, uh, we can no longer take a passive position and hope someone else will save us. 
Yeah. We must be the heroes we've been waiting for. We can't wait yeah. for someone else. So all to all of our listeners, I hope you'll share this podcast especially, but share our podcast with people who aren't listening. Um, send yeah, it to and them. don't don't forget to um to get up on the podcast app and review because it helps other people find us as well. So we always appreciate it when you share our our uh, episodes and when you give us five stars and tell us and other people what you appreciate about the work that we're doing. It really makes a difference. Good to see you again. I'll see you uh, soon, I hope. You will. You'll see me in less than a week. So thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 